0: welcome to the which way do you eat your banana series of personal and management development audio guides to subscribe or download episodes visit www.think.gb.com hello it's gavin uh this podcast is on communication which is a big old subject and i'm going to try and cover it in about 10 or 15 minutes now um unless you live in a hole in the ground and you don't speak to anyone I'm guessing that communication is probably one of the most important parts of what you do in work and at home in life in general. Now when I'm with a group of people I'm training I tend to um, ask the following question which is a bit challenging to start off with and it's a bit risky but I get them to agree that it's quite an important part of their job and then I say okay if this is probably the most important part of your job, how many of you are an expert on communication? How often do you read books on it? How often do you study it? What have you done regarding learning communication? And they pause and look at me, and there's a look of slight hatred, and they go, ooh, uh, ooh we don't, oh, well, we don't. So I go, well, why? And they go, I don't know. So I put an out to them, you know, if you went to see a doctor and, you know, the doctor was examining you and you said, oh, just by the way, you're a doctor. What do you know about being a doctor? And they went, well, uh, kind of, a bit, read a few, well, oh, no, I haven't read a few, I saw, I saw a bit on telly and, uh, yeah, you wouldn't have a great deal of confidence in dealing with that doctor. So, um, hopefully this session, you know, it's a big old subject, but I'm going to try and give you some practical tips in 10 or 15 minutes. Hopefully this will urge you to pursue some learning on communication. Okay, so let's start with the basics. Um, Have you heard of a chap called Dr. Birdwhistle? No? That's okay, no one's ever heard of him. Uh, For me, he's the grandfather of all this communication nonsense. Uh, He did some research in um, Pennsylvania and published a book on kinesics in 1952, which started the whole subject of how we communicate with our words, how we say things and what we don't say. And it was followed up by people like Mahabrium and some other blokes in the 70s. And their summary, it seems, is that when we communicate, there's a relationship between the words how we say things and what we don't say. And the relationship is the words are 7%, how we say things is 38%, and what we don't say is 55%. Now I don't know whether those figures are true or right, and how the hell did they work them out? Did they put little things on people's heads? Um, Is it really 7% for the words or is it 6.9%? I have no idea. So when I'm with uh, a group of people I'm training, I tend to ask them, well, this is what these guys say, what do you think? And they usually go, well, I'm surprised it's as high as, say, 55% on non-words, as in body language, Um, but I guess there probably is some kind of truth in it. So what I then tend to do is try and um, test it to see whether there's any truth before we move on, because if it is true then 93% of your communication has got nothing to do with the words you use. And if you've seen the communication and sex video on the website, you'll see that's probably true. So the first test is usually um, emails. Uh, Presumably if you'll listen to this, you get emails. And have you ever had an email from someone where you thought, gosh, what's wrong with them? And you phone them up and go, what's wrong? And they go, nothing, I've just sent you an email. So the words on their own, i.e. in an email, can be completely misread. So let's test another situation. Have you ever booked a meeting with someone that you've never met before, but you're going to meet them? You've heard them on the phone. Do you ever start picturing what this person's going to look like? Most people say yes. So even though you haven't got the body language, you begin to make it up. Okay, final test to wrap the whole thing up. Can you think of a world famous speech? Most of you will be thinking of Martin Luther King, I have a dream. That's what most people in the audience will say. And if you think about that speech, uh, I have a dream is four words. And I'll then ask the audience, "Okay, this is the world's most famous speech. What else can you remember? And they go, oh, um, something about Alabama or some kids and, um, you know, kids of different creed and colour playing with each other. Uh, Oh, we don't know. And the speech is about 1,564 words long. But most people can only remember a handful of the words, you know, the keywords, I have a dream. So what about another speech? Um, The chap in charge of America now, Barack Obama, uh, he had his inauguration speech, which um, was being compared. You know, this guy's almost a bit like Martin Luther King. He's that good. And the speech, um, I ask people, well, what can you remember from the speech? And they tend to go, oh, um, something about can we fix it? Yes, we can. Now, if you're from the UK and you've got children, you know that... Can we fix it? Yes, we can, is a line from Bob the Builder, which is a cartoon series. So there's Obama talking Bob the Builder, and people are going, this guy is amazing. There are so many examples of this in speeches. Uh, John F. Kennedy, really, really world, world famous leader. Um, Probably his most famous speech is the one where he was in Germany, uh, in Berlin, I guess, where he was talking to the Germans, and his, his kind of punchline from the speech was, Ich bin ein Berliner. And the crowd went wild. Whoa, this guy is just amazing. Now, if you speak German, uh, apparently what he's saying, I don't speak German, but apparently what he's saying is, I am a hot dog or a donut, because that's the direct interpretation of Ich bin ein Berliner. So there he is, JFK, talking to the Germans, saying he's a hot dog. And people love it. So his words are nonsense, but how he's saying it and what he's not saying seem to carry him through. Churchill, another good example, we'll fight them on the beaches. And interestingly, he said that on the radio. So, but most people picture Churchill um, with a big cigar and the big bulldog face when he says that. But most people only remember, we'll fight them on the beaches. And it was quite a long speech. And it would have to be, because if he just said, we'll fight them on the beaches, people would go, "Uh, okay, well, what else are we gonna do? You know, have we got any tanks? Are we gonna, uh, got any boats? Are we gonna have a bit of a plan? or are just going to fight them on the beaches? Now, if you have to give speeches yourself, it's probably worthwhile remembering this because, I mean, for most people, speeches, given a speech, is the biggest fear in the world. Death comes number three, speeches come number one. And they worry about what they're going to say. But, as you know now, it doesn't really matter as long as it's in context. It's how you say it and what you don't say And that's whether people will believe what you're saying. Because when your words and how you're saying things and your body language are lined up, you are congruent, which means you're truthful with yourself, so they will believe you. Okay, so hopefully there's enough proof there in your own mind that this relationship um, between the words, how we say things, and what we don't say has some reasonable truth. Now, when you're communicating with someone else, if you're getting on well with them, The words you're using, how you're saying things and what you're not saying will be matching or mirroring the other person. Think back to the last time you had a good meeting with someone. Go on, have a good think. You've had one or two. Now, if you had a magic video camera and you could play that meeting back, what you'd find is that the words you're using, how you're saying things and what you're not saying are reasonably aligned with the person you're with. Now, with that magic video camera, go back to the last time you had a bad meeting. Now, the words you're using will probably be different, but they don't matter that much. How you're saying things will be quite different, and your body language will be very, very different to the person you're miscommunicating with. Now, when I'm with an audience, I'm training, um, I kind of ask them, if you're having a bad meeting, and it's not working, your communication's not working, and you can't get your point of view across, would you try and change what and how you're saying it? And for most of them, some people don't, uh, they're just a bit weird, I think. For most of them, they'll go, well, yeah, of course we would. You know, we'd give it, you know, give it a different approach. You know, we'd have it go a different way. So I then say, well, okay, so you're changing how you would say it. Have you ever thought about changing your body language as well? Some of them go, well, yeah. But most of them go, "Uh, No. When we are getting on really well with someone else, we match the words, how we say things, and what we don't say. And this is called rapport, which is a really deep level of communication. And this happens naturally. If you think about it, if you go to a pub, I go to pubs quite a bit and just watch people. But if you watch some city gents in a pub, they're all having a chat, they're getting on well together. One person pulls his Blackberry out, What do the rest do? They do the same thing. If you go to a dinner party where everybody's getting on very well, they all seem to know when to get up and leave. And actually during the whole evening session, they'll be sitting very similar to each other. So when it's going well, we naturally match our communication styles. Which then means if it's not going well, all you have to do is try and get that match back and do what the other person does in terms of the way they say things and what they don't say and this will help you get into rapport now this is a really really big subject but by just adopting some of these simple principles you'll have a massive improvement in how you communicate with people and I would urge you to do some further research because communication is probably most important aspect of your life. So what I'd like to do is give you some tips on the 38% as in how you say things and the 55% what you don't say. If you don't mind we'll skip the 7% because it's such a small percentage and also to be honest you should be okay with the words. Okay so let's dive into the 38% so this is how you say things which is your tone, your pitch, your timber. whether you're speaking in visual, auditory, kinesthetic, gustatory, olfactory, whether you're doing detail or whether you're doing big picture stuff. Now, some pretty basic stuff here. If you are given, say, a presentation to people, and you want to come across as passionate, but you're so nervous that you come across as meek and mild, and, blah, then the audience won't be passionate about what you're saying. So if you are saying things, make sure your voice comes across to match the mood you want to get across, if that makes sense. So if I say, I really enjoy making these podcasts, and I hope you get something out of them, then actually you're probably thinking, I don't think he does enjoy it, and I don't think I'll get anything out of it. Whereas you know, the words are, I really hope you enjoy these podcasts, um, and I really hope you get something out of it. If I change the way I'm saying things, then the impact of the message changes. Simple as that. Pretty basic stuff I know, but (laughs) I'm amazed at how many people don't just do the basic stuff. If you want to be passionate, make sure you sound passionate or enthusiastic. What I'd like to do now is dig a bit deep into two segments of the how you say things. The first part is around your senses. So the senses are visual, you see things, auditory, you hear things, kinesthetic, you feel things or touch things, olfactory, you smell things, and gustatory, you taste things. Now, for the sake of um, this podcast, and I guess, you know, if we're looking at business stuff as well, we'll ignore the olfactory, the smelling stuff, and the gustatory, because you don't really lick people (laughs) when you're in communication, or you don't smell them as they walk into the room. Uh, One bit of advice, if you stink, I suggest you sort that out because that doesn't help with your communication. So we're just going to concentrate on the visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. So when we communicate or talk, we tend to talk in pictures. Um, I can see what you're saying. Auditory, um, I can hear what you're saying. Or kinesthetic, that feels right to me. And like most things, we tend to have preferences on how we operate. For example, my main preference is kinesthetic, um, but I have also a very strong visual sense, and I have virtually no auditory sense when it comes to communication. An example of this is that if people are trying to um, communicate something to me, and they're just talking to me, I really don't get what they're on about, and I tend to get them to go to a flip chart or grab a piece of paper, and show me what they mean, and then I grab that kind of paper and I play with myself, which is a very kinesthetic thing to do. And once I do that, I can understand what's going on. So if you're trying to communicate with someone and you notice they're very visual, then can I suggest that based on the 7, 55% rule, you do it like them, you become visual. If they're kinesthetic, you become kinesthetic. So how do you know what their preference is? Well, you could give them a questionnaire which is a bit weird or you could just listen to them because people give clues um, on how they communicate. For example, visual people. Visual people tend to talk quite quickly. Uh, Their hands and eyes are all up in the air because they're thinking pictures. They tend to draw things um, and they say words like, I can see what you mean, show me how that works. Anything in their communication which links to pictures Suggests they're in a visual preference. Auditory people tend to say words like, I can hear what you're saying, that rings a bell. Their voice is more orchestral, it's got a good rhythm to it. Kinesthetic people, and I know when I'm with a kinesthetic person because it just feels right, I just feel like I'm with a fellow brother, tend to talk in more of a slower, hippier, kind of yeah kind of way and they like to touch things and feel things they're probably more comfortable hugging people and they say things like I can't quite grab that or that feels right or it's a bit rough so their language is about touch and emotion. Now you've probably got a, a good guess on what preferences you hold. Um, just from the descriptions. But if you'd like to complete a quick questionnaire, there is one on the website. It's only 15 questions long. It's not the greatest scientific questionnaire I've ever seen in my life. But I found it quite useful when I did this a few years ago, because I used to think I was only visual. And the questionnaire suggested I was actually strongly kinesthetic backed up by visual, which surprised me. And it's only when I started doing these podcasts, I realized that my voice is very kinesthetic. I always thought I had this squeaky high-pitched voice, but I sound like some old hippie from the 70s. Also, people who know me would say I have that slightly lived-in look. If you see me on the website on the video podcast, you will kind of see that I don't quite look as smart as I should do. I look like I've lived in myself for a bit. If you find out what your natural preference or preferences are then just be aware of them because when you're communicating with other people if they have different preferences it means that your communication is probably mismatched on the how you say things. So just have a go, just observe people, watch the conversations and have a go at changing your style when you see the other person being different to you. So you can take this to a really high level, have a look at world famous leaders who have made a massive impact on the planet, people like John F. Kennedy, Churchill, Gandhi, Mandela, they tick all the boxes on visual, kinesthetic, and auditory. Visually, they look right. You don't have to be good looking, but there's something about you that looks right. Auditory, you sound right, your voice is interesting. It's got rhythm, momentum, and kinesthetic, they move your emotions. So that's examples of world leaders who left a big impression. There are plenty of leaders in the past or around now who don't quite make the grade on visual kinesthetic and auditory. I'm from the UK. Our current boss of the UK is Gordon Brown. Um, mm, um, He seems to miss all the boxes on that one. And in the past we've had some brilliant politicians um, who didn't quite make Prime Minister. A good example would be Michael Foote, by all accounts a genius but just didn't look like a prime minister and therefore didn't become the prime minister. Okay, so I think that's probably enough covered on visual kinesthetic auditory. There's only so much you can do on a podcast. Um, If I were you, I'd just observe people for a while. Observe yourself and watch this visual kinesthetic auditory in play. I kind of get it in my life quite a bit bit, because I'm very kinesthetic and I come home after a hard day's work and all I want to do is lie in this big comfy couch, it's a very kinesthetic couch. But I know that my wife is very visual and when she comes in, even though I work really hard all day long, all she can see is some fat bloke sitting on the couch, spoiling her visual display. I've learned to go to a different room and lie down and find a different couch. Okay, the second part of the how you say things I'd like to dive a little into is how we take in information and generally speaking there are two types of people those people who like the detail and those people who like the big picture if you've done myers-briggs before the detail people will be sensing and the big picture people will be intuition if you've done nlp this will be chunking up or chunking down so let me give you a quick description on both sides so you can um, have a guess at which is your natural preference You do both sides of detail and big picture, but it's usually where you start and where you finish. A good little analogy for this is um, if you had a pen and a piece of paper and you signed your name with your normal right hand, let's say you're right handed, that would be easy and comfortable. If I asked you to switch hands and sign with the other hand, it's a lot more difficult. You can do it, especially if you practice it, you'll get better, but it's more difficult. So if you're communicating with someone and you're a detailed person and they're a big picture person, then basically what you're asking them to do is write with the wrong hand. And this makes it very difficult for them to attempt to understand what you're trying to say. So the secret is is to find out what you're dealing with and communicate in a way which is best for them. So if they're big picture people, give them the big picture. If they're detailed people, give them the detail. So let me give you some quick descriptions on both sides and perhaps you can make a a judge for yourself on what your natural preference is. For some people this is quite clear. For other people they've just become very good with their right hand and their left hand. Now the detail people or if you've done Myers-Briggs sensing or NLP would be people who chunk down. These people usually require the facts, the evidence and the detail and they're usually very good with detail because they can see it. When they do their bank statements, they usually have some kind of process for their bank statements. When they want directions to go somewhere, they usually like them to be quite specific. When they describe films, they'll take you through the whole film. Well, this film started in 1940, starred Al Pacino, took him through his early years. Then he went to war, came back, fell in love. It's basically a chick flick. So they'll build up to the summary through the detail. Now the other set of people see the world from a different end of the telescope. They like to see the big picture first of all. So they're looking for the broad description of what's going on and if they require it they'll take you down into the detail. These people for bank statements generally speaking they don't really do them. Um, Directions it's more about roughly where is it and I'll make my way from there. When they describe things they tend to be more of a summary. So going back to their film description, it'll be, well, it starred this guy who looks a bit like Al Pacino. It's basically a chick flick. Now, a couple of years ago in the UK, they had a programme on BBC um, about um, this kind of thing, people taking in the detail and the big picture. And what they did, they tested people with a proper questionnaire. And then they hung a tea bag on a piece of string from the ceiling. And they asked the detail people or the sensing people to describe what they saw. And they went, uh, it's a tea bag and then they asked the intuitive people to describe the same thing and the intuitive said "Ooh, it's a bit like a spaceship so a tea bag on a string from a ceiling two very different interpretations Um, now worldwide research suggests there's a 50-50 split on people who prefer detail and people who prefer to start at the big picture have a go at finding out what you are and just make sure when you're with the other type try and communicate in a way which is best for them, so they can write with their right hand rather than their left hand. Okay, moving on, I'd like to um, have a look at this body language area which covers, according to the experts, over half of your communication, which if it's true is really scary. Over half of what you do has nothing to do with what you say. Think about it. Body language itself is a big big topic and I still study it and read information on it probably weekly actually because I find it such a fascinating subject. It can be very simple and it also can be quite complex. Now bearing in mind I'm doing an audio here and you can't see me I think we will keep it to the very simple but I would encourage you and urge you to read any books on body language because it's just so interesting what you can pick up. So going back to the point I made quite early on in this podcast, that if you were trying to communicate with someone and it wasn't working, you would change how you're saying it. So the idea then is also to change your body language and just be like the other person, do what they're doing, but be reasonably subtle when you change your body language to match theirs. So for example, next time you have a meeting with someone, why don't you try and sit the way they're sitting and if they change their body posture subtly change yours to what they're doing but be subtle don't suddenly do what they've just done wait for them to start speaking and then just gently adopt their body language position and trust me when you start this it will feel a bit weird you'll think I'm gonna be exposed they know I'm matching them or something but I've done this for 20 years and never never Has anyone said, are you trying to copy me? And I've probably had this done to me for the last 20 years. And I've only ever noticed it once with one person who was so rubbish at it and so unsubtle, you'd have to be an idiot not to work it out. When things are going well, you naturally do this. You don't think about it. It just happens. All I'm suggesting is that when it's a tougher meeting or it's not quite going your way, Have a look at your body language and do what the other person's doing. If you don't believe this is true or you're not quite sure about it, can I suggest you observe body language for the next two weeks? Go to pubs, watch meetings. You can just see people and work out what's going on without hearing a word they're saying. Turn down the sound on your favourite soap opera or TV programme. You still know what's going on. As a human being, you can take in about 2 million bits of information per second. 2 million per second. We are naturally gifted at observing body language. We do it unconsciously. We can pick up all this information. Have you ever had a gut feeling about someone? That's your body language sensors telling you something's right or wrong from these signals you're picking up. So whilst we're naturally gifted at body language um, I just don't think most people have thought about it and put it in their conscious mind. So I suggest you just put it in your conscious mind and realize how good you are at reading body language. And the information we've talked about on this podcast is a very simple strategy on body language. I would urge you to investigate the whole subject because it is completely fascinating. If you go to a pub, and I keep talking about pubs, perhaps I go to the pub too often, if you watch two people together standing up with their legs crossed they are very comfortable with each other. They have to be. The limbic brain, your your old kind of um, Neanderthal brain, will not allow you to stand cross-legged with someone who you are not comfortable with. Why? Because when you're standing with your legs crossed, you're off balance. You're defenseless. So therefore, you must be comfortable with the person you're with. So at the beginning, I said we'd have 10 or 15 minutes on this podcast. It's now 28 minutes long. Um, my apologies but it is a big old subject I hope you found the tips to be useful don't forget there's some backup reading information on the website it's such a interesting fun subject fill your boots and enjoy learning more about communication until next time, take care, see ya